47. You can open your Bibles, uh, look up on the screen. Let this passage kind of introduce us to what we want to talk about today. Acts 2, 42 to 47 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a little glimpse, a snapshot, a little video montage of the early church and the practices of their early church and how they did community together. It's really a beautiful scene. Things for us to do in here, too. Notice that they devoted themselves to these things. They, they weren't CEO Christians, right? Christmas and Easter only. They, they were devoted to this. These practices weren't just an addendum to their already busy life. They were committed to living life together, the Christian life together in community. What did they devote themselves to? Several things here are mentioned. The apostles teaching. So they were in the word together and we must be in the word every day. I encourage you, open your Bible, get the Bible on your app, on your phone and, and read something in God's word every day. We need to know the truth and be conversant in it as they were. And there's so many great resources out there for the Christian now. Online resource that I know my wife uses a lot and I do some is uh, Net Bible. NetBible.org. It's an excellent resource with just lots of good study helps there for you. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And let me read Hebrews 10.25. The writer there says, let us not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We saw that they met in the temple so they met in the larger group setting and they met in homes in the smaller group. We need both the larger gathering where where we're instructed in the word and where we can encourage each other, but also in the home. We need the smaller group gathering. So let me encourage you today. Be in a life group, in a Sunday school class, in, in some other grouping. It doesn't even have to be here at the church, but it's important to be in a smaller group with other believers. What if Christianity someday was made illegal? And so the public gathering like this could not happen. Then those cell groups, those home groups, the smaller group of meeting would be where the Christian life is lived out. So get in the habit of that now. Have a smaller group of other believers that you're connected to and encouraging each other. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, literally, both the agape meal and the Lord's Supper, I think, are both indicated here. They ate together. They shared together. They did life together over food and drink. And, and that's fun. That's enjoyable. I got a sense that they took the Lord's Supper often, which we could do more. And they devoted themselves to the prayer, probably corporate prayer, but perhaps individually at home is also indicated. 
a number of us gather here every Sunday morning at 830 to pray for the morning. You're welcome to join us. Prayer warriors are a part of our church life. You can find out more about that. We see here in the text that signs and wonders were happening. God was moving in great ways, healing and converting people to the faith. And the believers shared life together. As someone had a need, they met that need, which again may be imperative if persecution comes to the church in America. Communal living may be necessary. They sold their possessions and gave them to the work of God to those in need and God blessed them. So that's kind of what I want to focus on next. Focus on the aspect of early church life, a ministry, a ministry to one another. Obviously, they used their spiritual gifts. Those were in operation and they were helping each other's spiritually and they were giving them the material resources to help other believers. So they were using their material resources. Ministry has two basic assumptions. The first is it's based on the mercy and compassion of God. We see that in the ministry of Jesus in, in the Gospels. I, I remember watching one of the Jesus movies. I don't know which one, but it was a lovely scene of a leper standing at a distance, calling out to Jesus to help him. And that leper was doing what they were required to do by the law. They weren't allowed to approach someone. They had to stay a certain distance away from people. And if someone was approaching them, they had to call out unclean, unclean. So you would not get too close to them. But this man was crying out, calling out for Jesus for help. And Jesus came up to him, which, of course, was taboo, if you will. And he looked at him with such loving eyes. And, and then he touched this man. And I got tears in my eyes just thinking about it. It was such a moving scene. And that's how we minister. We, we minister out of the love of God in our hearts, not, not in our own sense of uh, duty or obligation. or I need to do that or, or it's my my love and compassion. No, it's God's love flowing through you to others. The second basic assumption of doing ministry is we have been called, gifted and equipped to continue Jesus's ministry. We've been called, gifted and equipped. Let's look at a few verses here. Ephesians 4, 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life Worthy of the calling you have received. Every Christian has been called. Pastor Charles recognized that they were called to this church to serve. But you've been called as well. You don't have to be in full time ministry to be called. You have a calling on your life from God for service in his kingdom. Look at 1 Corinthians twelve seven. Now to each one, not just the ministers or pastors, to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So every Christian has received from God a spiritual gift to be used in service of God's kingdom. Let's look at first or Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And we're, we're going to read this in the King James Version because I, I like how it reads. He gave some. Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, kind of a dual gift for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. So who are the ministers? It's really the members of the ministers. Every Christian is to be equipped to serve God somehow. Now, I want to use an analogy from here on out to kind of talk about ministry. We're right now in the middle of football season. I'm an unabashed Ohio State University Buckeye football fan. Most of you know that, or many of you do. So uh, the Buckeyes already lost the game this season, which is unusual. It's a little bit of a bummer, but that's okay. They're getting better each week. I play high school football, so using football analogies are really easy for me. So you say, well, I really don't have a rooting interest. I'm not a football fan. I, I still hope to be able to explain things in a way that you're still going to catch the analogy and, and the point I'm trying to make. And I'm going to base it on an old video I watched many, many years ago by John Maxwell. Five scenes from a football game. All right. So I want you to kind of visualize as I go through these and I hope I'll explain it in a way that you're still going to catch the intent and the idea here. The first scene is one coach. All right. So picture this in your mind. Football game is beginning. Here are 11 guys dressed in black lined up on the 35. They kick the ball off. And on the receiving team is only one coach who's out there near the goal line dressed in sweats. The coach catches the ball and 11 guys are running full steam ahead of the poor coach who who is, you know, trying to run forward with the ball. And those 11 guys just crush the coach. And when the bodies all pile off, there is the coach laying on the ground, unable to get up. And a stretcher is brought out and they pull the coach off the field. I, I think you can picture that scene in your mind. This is the church where the pastor does all the work of the ministry. Where's the rest of the team? Well, they're on the bench. They're, they're in the stands. They're passive. They're watching. They're not in the game. Now, this could be the pastor's choice, or maybe it's not. How much ministry is going to happen in that place? Not very much, because the pastor or leader becomes the bottleneck. He stops the flow of ministry. This is the kind of church where the members say, you're the minister. We pay you to do ministry. We're behind you, Pastor. We're way behind you. Ephesians 4.12, which I read, says that the members are the ministers, not the pastor. Let's read Exodus chapter 18. I don't know if we. Yeah. All right. Great, James. Thank you for putting that up. This was the last minute one. Exodus 18 starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses, father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Idea of prayer. 
teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live. It's a word indeed, living it out, the duties they are to perform, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. There's an organization here. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple ones they can decide themselves that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father in law and did everything he said. All right. So Moses, you can see the scene here. He's trying every single case. He's burning out. But his father in law said him straight. Moses, delegate responsibility. There are plenty of other ministers in your midst that can do the work. Another New Testament example would be Acts chapter six. There the church is growing rapidly and the 12 apostles are overwhelmed by the work of ministry. And so they appointed seven godly deacons to help serve in the ministry so the apostles could focus on the word and prayer. Christianity cannot and is not a one man show. Every person is important and needed and gifted for the work of ministry. Okay, let's do a second scene from a football game. And it is break the holy huddle. So the second scene, all the players are out on the field, but they only stay huddled up. You've seen that in a football game, right? Where they all kind of get in together and the quarterback or whomever, they bring in a play and they discuss the play. But they never break the huddle. So the rep blows his whistle for delay of game. And the team backs up five yards, but then they just huddle up and never break the huddle. So the rev is continually blowing the whistle, five yard delay of game penalty until they finally cross their own goal line and, and a safety is awarded to the other team. OK, churches can be like that. Folks love to come to church and sit in the holy huddle. They have their playbook on their laps or maybe on their phones in front of them. And the coach lectures on the play. And they say, that was a great play, coach. Give us another play. They especially love the plays at the end of the playbook that talk about the Antichrist in 666. Christians can think that the holy huddle is really ministry. Hey, I'm going to church. I'm putting some money on the offering plate. That's ministry. They go to church to a serve us. S-E-R-V-E-U-S. Rather than a service. But the truth of the matter is the service begins once the service ends. We go out and share. We tell others what we've learned about Jesus and we put the word of God into practice. James tells us this in 2, 15 to 17. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go. I wish you well, keep warm and, and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need. What good is it in the same way? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I would say that many of us are educated well beyond our level of obedience. Break the holy huddle and get out there and run a play. Thirdly, 
arguments. Arguments. The third scene depicts the team at the line of scrimmage. They're ready to run a play, but the teammates are all arguing with each other. Have you ever seen that in church? Ever been hurt by church? Man, people will argue over the color of the carpet and the color of the choir robes. And somebody hurts your feelings. Look, it's going to happen, right? We're all a bunch of imperfect people lumped together. Sinners saved by grace. We're going to be offended. That kind of stuff you have to overlook and forgive. And we all know that there's been abusive situations in church by pastors and church leaders. That, that kind of stuff needs confronted and people held accountable and forgiveness and healing. But community is messy, but it's worth it. So imagine the center. Here's what the play is going to be. And he doesn't want to run that play, so he refuses to snap the ball back to the quarterback. The offensive linemen, they don't want to block. They're tired of blocking and being beat up on all games. So the tackle wants to be the quarterback. And the quarterback refuses to hand it off ever to the running back. And no one wants to play defense. So that's an analogy for thinking that every Christian has a gift. You have a gift. You have to find out what your spiritual gift is and do it. So you need to know your position on the team, in other words. So, and don't be jealous of someone else's position. It takes everyone together doing their position for the team to have success. If you're busy rowing the boat, you won't be rocking it. Soldiers are trained to fight the enemy, not fight each other. Sometimes I wonder in church if we just don't have too many meetings and nothing gets done. Why, have, why does it take two committees six months to replace light bulbs? And then they argue, should it be 60 watt or 100 watt? Why not let the people who are actually on the ground doing the ministry decide? Now, I think there should be structure because there are people that are gifted as administrators. So they we do need decision makers. But we should structure for ministry getting done, not just for structure's sake. Arguing is counterproductive. What we want is unity where we're flowing together. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Number four, no equipment. No equipment. The fourth scene shows the players lined up ready to run a play, but they have no equipment on. No helmet, no shoulder pads, no jersey. They want to play, but they're going to get killed if they go out there and try to run a play. And the other team is fully equipped and they are not. We lived for three years in Pasadena, California, while I was in seminary. And you know, if you know something about Pasadena, that's where the famous Rose Bowl Parade is held every year. And it was just a few blocks from our house. And we walked down and watched it. And I'm not much of a parade guy, but this parade was fantastic. Every float was so beautiful. To have a float in the Rose Bowl Parade, it must have something living on it and not people. So it, it had to have trees or flowers and, and such gorgeous floats. And one year this happened, not a year we were there watching the parade, but a float stopped in the middle of the parade and all the floats behind it, of course, got held up and the whole parade just came to a halt. 
And it took a while to find out what the problem was. But one of the floats ran out of gas. You know which float ran out of gas? The Standard Oil Company. Now, they shouldn't have run out of gas. They should have been better equipped and prepared than any other float, but they weren't. We have been equipped and prepared. We have the Holy Spirit within us, right? First John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have a spiritual gift. God is giving you and us all we need to minister. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship. Greek word poema. You're God's poem created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But there are skills and abilities we need to learn and practice. Ephesians 4.11 said there are pastors and teachers to equip the people. They teach and equip the ministers to minister. Then go out and do it. Experiment a little bit. You might fail. I don't want to be the only one making all the mistakes. You're allowed to make a few, too. So try a new ministry out that you have a heart for. Come to me or our elders and say, wow, you know, I think God has really laid a burden on my heart to do this. Let us encourage and come alongside you and resource you for that. So go to the locker room, get your equipment on and come out onto the field, which brings us to our fifth scene. Run the play. Okay, so. Run the play. Our team is outfitted. They have their equipment on. They have their uniforms on. They look really good. They're all lined up in their position. They know what position they are to play. They know what the play is going to be. They know what they're supposed to do. So the center hikes the ball back to the quarterback. The linemen all engage in blocks on the defensive guys in front of them. The quarterback drops back. He gives a fake handoff to the running back who pretends he has the ball and runs through the line, which distracts the linebackers. And the quarterback throws the ball down the field to the wide receiver. He catches the ball, eludes the safety and runs across the goal line for a touchdown. And all the teammates run down there and they they hug the wide receiver and the biggest offensive tackle lifts him up in the air and they celebrate together a touchdown, a perfectly executed play where everyone did his role just right. And the team enjoyed the success together. That's the last Scenario, And that's the goal of every church, a church full of people who are equipped by God, using their spiritual gifts, ministering in their church, community or world for the glory of God. And then when it all comes together like that, there's such a sense of joy and fulfillment. So whatever time, treasures and talents God has given you, know this as you serve in his kingdom, he will richly reward you. The nominating committee is a committee in our church that uh, serves God in a way to seek God's will for our, our church leadership positions that are, are open. In just a few minutes, you'll be hearing a little bit about that. And I would just ask you, if you're called that you sincerely pray about that. Lord, are you calling me at this time to this position? OK, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which uh, teaches us and instructs us in all righteousness. Thank you for gifting everyone in your church with, with gifts for that particular time and place. You've given us everything that we need to fulfill your will here. So we're thankful for that, Lord. But like the puzzle 
that is missing a piece here and there. That's what stands out. That's what we notice. So, Lord, we pray that every piece of the puzzle will come together and the play will be run beautifully and there will be people coming into the kingdom and needs will be met for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.